You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Okay, the sermon text for today is Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. This is God's word. Uh, I'm Chad, one of the pastors. For those who don't know me, as Aaron has already mentioned, I would love to meet you. And you could visit with us here in the back table near the visitor's table and the the coffee table. We'd love to shake your hand and introduce ourselves and meet you. But at this time, this morning, we're going to be worshiping in the Word together. And we're going to do so continuing in our series through the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we've come across, um, we, we are following the church from its earliest inception, where the Spirit of God came on God's people and began to lead him on his mission. We spoke about this in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. God's rule and reign in this world. That's ultimately what we're talking about. His rule and reign in the hearts and minds of men, transforming this world. And oh, how he has transformed, even from the beginning of Acts, now even to today. You and I are sitting in this room together, worshiping Jesus Christ because of what began in the book of Acts, because of what Christ did on the cross, and how he formed and continued to work through his church. And we come to this particular passage, and for those of you who are familiar with the series and through the, the sermons that we're preaching here week after week, we're walking through Acts, most often we are covering a larger section of text. But we wanted to focus in and drill down on these three verses, and it's that doesn't mean it's, it's going to be like a third of the time. I'm sorry, but no. there is so much here. There's so much here that we want to dig into and look and see. Because what is significant about these three verses is that up until this point, really the, the advancement of, of missionaries, if you will, the gospel, the evangelizing to this point has been really as a result of persecution. I mean, it's been spreading in Jerusalem throughout from the temples and from Jews in the area speaking to one another. And remember, we talked about this over these last weeks, that it's been kind of up in the air about, is this just a Jewish religion? What's going on? And the Gentiles, who are, for many of us in here, Gentiles who are non-Jewish people, have begun to, to, to get the gospel. It's, the gospel has begun uh, to be brought to them through Peter speaking to Cornelius, for, uh, through um, Philip, who's gone to the Ethiopian, to Simon, And we see uh, in chapter 11, specifically, this church, Antioch, shows up on the map because it's one of those churches where all of a sudden, a very intentional missionary movement, they've got there, by the way, by persecution. Jerusalem has been under persecution. And these Jewish people have come in and now specifically begin to bring the gospel and a church has begun to be formed made out of Gentiles and Jewish people alike. And it's unique because all of a sudden in, this, in these three verses, something happens where this church, instead of just as a result of persecution to do evangelism, 
They are the first church we see actually take an interest in and, and, and begin a movement in foreign missions by sending people out of their church. Meaning that they are, in, they are inspired by, they are growing in the gospel, they are learning together, they are being taught together as a community of faith, and they are in worship and they say, we should be, the Spirit tells them, bring out Barnabas and Saul and send them out to what I've called because they don't need to stay here anymore. They have other work to do. It's not because anybody's persecuting them. It's because that's what they're supposed to be doing. We go from the mission of God commissioning his people, Jesus saying, go and make disciples. And and then he tells them, do it in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And he essentially has to persecute them to get them to move. Sometimes we need, don't, we're believe. be honest with us as believers. We need persecution to get to sometimes get up and move and do what we're supposed to do. God, God works in spite of us sometimes. But he still uses and works through us in his grace. But here we see the church do something which is at the core of what their Lord has commanded them to do to take that mission that they have been entrusted with, that gospel, and take it to places where it is not. That good news. And we have from the beginning tried to instill in you that it is our core foundation and purpose to be on the mission of God in this world. That advancing the kingdom in the hearts and minds of men, seeing the Spirit of God work in them and change them to be more like Christ, And sometimes, for me at least, has been a slow and painful process, but it is a beautiful one. Because as we trust in Christ and what he's done, he has promised to change his people. And we carry that message, that good news, that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ. Come to him. And in Antioch, that message is going forth. It's going out. And if it's the foundation, we often see the illustration in Scripture that that the church is called the body of Christ. Okay, and I think that's a really helpful illustration, a helpful analogy, because for those of you who may have this, have an issue in a particular part of your body, you know it throws off everything else. In particular, the foundation, right? I have incredibly flat feet. See this? See this right here? Okay. Okay. Okay, your ankles start to hurt, your knees start to hurt. It comes with age too. Even I know people that have had back problems and back surgery because they spent their life over the road trucking, sitting on a wallet, just throwing their body out of a line from the foundation, which then throws everything out of place and it's not where it's supposed to be or functioning the way it's meant to. So my argument for you is this, if the gospel is our foundation and the mission of God is our purpose and we miss those, we're out of alignment. We're not functioning as a church that Christ has established and rather we're just a gathering, a group coming together to sing some really good songs and maybe have some good friends and we begin to maybe potentially be tempted to be consumers who things aren't just the way I want them to be here, so maybe I should find another one that's more like I enjoy. Or maybe this friend group over here is 
lost track and vision of, of what the mission of our church is supposed to be, so they, they treat one another unkindly because, well, we don't get along. But rather, if the gospel is our foundation, like the church in Antioch, we are driven in to see what is Christ and who is he and the humility and the grace and the kindness that he demonstrates towards us, and it transforms our community to be something different from the world. Because apart from the mission and the gospel, we are nothing more than like the world. See, in this passage in Acts, God advances his kingdom through his people, leading them by his spirit on mission. You see how it's a way of the Lord that he wants to intentionally work through his people to do the work, and he's doing it here by leading them on mission. We, as God's people, when we are led by the Spirit of God, we join that mission of God advancing the kingdom. Those are not mutually exclusive. Did you know you can't be led by the Spirit and not be on mission? You know, if you're on mission, it's not God's mission if you're not led by the Spirit. They are together, and in this passage, we see it clearly. See, the church in Antioch is on mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says that Christ tells his disciples that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and to remember that I'm with you always to the end of the age. When we're introduced to the church in Antioch, Chapter 11, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 11, we see that the gospel comes to Antioch and he begins to form together a people of God from different races and backgrounds. They come to the Jews first, but the Gentiles and others begin to come together. And as they come together as a church, they begin to organize and teach one another. Barnabas and Saul shows up at the next portion of chapter 11 And Barnabas says, we really need to teach these guys about who Christ is. So he brings Saul in and they start teaching for what is a long time, over a year, and many more come to faith. So they're following after what Christ has commanded. He says, go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. So they're continuing in that mission. Paul and Barnabas have been described here as teaching the congregation. But in Acts 13, chapter 1, we see something more fully developed Look at the beginning of that verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there was prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Prophets and teachers are already showing up in Antioch. And in this particular congregation, prophets and teachers are being identified as roles in the church. They're serving the body. Now, you might be familiar in some terms of a prophet being someone who might tell the future. Agabus already showed up previously. All right, But in this particular case, most often, the role of prophet is regularly depicted as a gift of the Spirit. The gift of prophecy can be seen as foretelling the future, but it's often that of speaking an inspired word from God for the edification and the direction of the community. So where it sounds like you might be looking at future tense, in this case, it's more likely the prophet and teacher is something united together. That they're saying that these men are prophetic teachers of the word. It's a gift that they have that they speak an inspired word from God and they teach the people. In fact, beyond that, it also shows us something by the type of people they list. We look at that list and we see Barnabas, and Barnabas is actually a Cyprian. He's someone who's a Jewish person that lived in Cyprus. He's been a a person who is called a, a son of encouragement, someone who is constantly encouraging God's people. Simeon is actually a Jewish name, but he's from northern 
uh, Africa, it seems to be, and Lucius as well, and Cyrene, that same kind of area. And they actually, uh, when they look at this, we have a Jewish person, Barnabas, and Simeon is often seen as someone who is a, uh, a black person because he's from Africa, but also his name Niger in Latin means dark or black. Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, is someone who's in high places with high people. Herod the Tetrarch's a leader, uh, with, we've heard of in the past, and his Menean, a close friend, and actually makes a reference, like he's someone that seems to have grown up with Herod. So he's an influential person in the community, and he's a part of the church. And then Saul, who we've seen before, who's a, a Jewish, a man of Jewish descent, who's been radically transformed by the gospel to preach and teach the, God's word. So all of these people show up in Antioch, and it's like, to be honest with you, kind of a diverse dream team. I mean, you got Barnabas and Saul in one place. This place is blowing and going. It's blowing up, man. In the Jewish, in the Gentile world, they're adding people by the thousands. They're building a diverse community. They're, we see our, our traits and our values here in, in, in this church. They're serving sacrificially because at the end of chapter 11, it says that they came to the aid of Jerusalem in a sacrificial way when there was threat of a famine. They're laying down their own desires to serve others. Persecution has driven the church to this point, but this church, inspired by God, is going on to multiply, to send out more. And we see in chapter 2 how that happens. Or verse 2 of chapter 13. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. After they fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So in this particular case, they get inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they say, hey, we need to send out Barnabas and Saul, and they pray over them and lay hands on them. But what I don't want us to miss is this. As they prepare Barnabas and Saul, the reason they're inspired is because the Holy Spirit came to them and told them to set them apart. Like they are inspired by and led by the Holy Spirit in their mission. And that's exactly what Jesus set for us as an example in Acts chapter 1. If we read in verse 8, when he's telling his disciples that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, he starts this way in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In the same way that we see in this text, the Holy Spirit being the one that leads them to mission, we as believers today are to be led by the Holy Spirit on mission. That's the direction that our Savior gave us. And when we are led by the Spirit of God, we join that mission of God advancing the kingdom. But the question I want to ask out of our text today is how are we led by the Spirit? How do we pursue that? What does it look like? Let's read again in verse 13, or chapter 13, verses, verse 2. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said. What were they doing first? Well, they were pursuing and cultivating our relationship with the Spirit of God. So, brothers and sisters, we are people who are created body and spirit. Body and spirit. It's, a, it's wrong for us to think that those two are to ever be intended to be separated. There's actually an error in the church called docetism that said that everything that is flesh that is physical is bad. They, they, they actually suggested that Christ was just a phantasm. He was some kind of a mis, 
a, a spiritual thing that seemed like he was really there, but he's not because it would be bad if he was fleshly, so we're only spirit. But what I would suggest and what, I, what we've recognized is that's an error. We are entirely created by God, rightfully so and good, as embodied spirits, souls in flesh, L- the coming together of heaven and earth, if you will. And so as those who are both body and spirit, God desires to save and, and to sanctify and change all of us as whole people. Maybe you've grown up, and I've seen this from time to time, with a misunderstanding that at some point when you die, you're now going to go to heaven, you'll be on a cloud, you'll maybe have wings like an angel with a harp, and you'll just be a spirit that's living like that for eternity. And that sounds awful. That sounds awful. Come on. Are you serious? It's actually an issue that uh, Randy Alcorn addresses in a book called heaven i can recommend that it's a good a good resource to at least consider these kinds of things he says we're made to be human and that even in the end god doesn't come back and just make all things by new and saying all right welcome to heaven this is where we're going to hang out he's going to join together heaven and earth in the new heaven and new earth and we're given new resurrected bodies that are undefiled as whole people with this flesh now washed away and washed clean and sanctified and glorified by God to be the way we're meant to be created. But we're not there yet. So now what do you have? Unfortunately, you have a broken, tempted flesh. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have a spirit that desires to pursue him and they're at war within you. They're at war within you. It's exactly what Paul says in Galatians. In chapter five, verse 16, he says, I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Anybody ever had that war? You hear Paul resonating? I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? That's exactly what we see at play here. You have your flesh that you are still wrestling with, but God does not leave you without weapons against it because he also gives you his spirit. He gives the spirit to lead you, to guide you, to empower you, to strengthen you. There's no temptation that can go beyond his spirit. It can work in you to fight against that, but it's at war within you. And you have a choice day after day to feed one and deny the other. And what we see presently in this place is that this church is gathered together to feed the spirit of God in them and to deny the flesh. It's not by accident they say they are worshiping and fasting because they are together. And it's also important to recognize that faith here is demonstrated to to be personal, but it's not private. They're doing it together. You're an individual, but your faith is not individual. It is the community that God brings together to encourage one another, to press one another on towards good works. We hear it over and over again. God has saved a people for himself and the church in Antioch is pursuing the Lord together. 
And how are they doing it? How are they pursuing the Lord together? First, they're worshiping. They're ministering to the Spirit. Think about it in this terms. You are feeding the Spirit by your worship. Now, there's a whole plethora of ways we can dive into this, and I encourage this book, among others, but this in particular, Donald Whitney does a very, very good job of discussing spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. It talks about the fact of feeding your Spirit and also fasting is involved in this book. Okay, maybe have you heard a sermon on fasting before? It's not going to be an entire sermon on fasting, but it's something that we should consider, and it's also a practice that's encouraged, not only encouraged, but expected in Scripture. And so in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, Christ is talking to the woman at the well. He's speaking to her, and she is discussing, hey, which temple do you worship at? What location do you go to? We do on this mountain, this hill, you have that hill. Where do you worship? And he said this, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. And God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus is telling us that as God is spirit, that's where we come to and commune with him in spirit. Not based on one particular location. We've talked about this before, the revival that's Asbury, right? There's things going on. People were traveling from all over the globe to one particular place to meet him and see what's going on. I understand a bit of interest in that, like a unique situation that's going on. This is a movement. Is, it, is God really here? But I want to encourage is that God doesn't meet in one place. Please pursue him, but know that you do it in your spirit as you worship him. And this church is doing it together. Worship encompasses a lot of things. Sometimes we talk about the worship leader, and that may get confusing to think that person just does music, right? We had some lovely voices singing up here, but worship in music is only one facet of the ways in which we worship. Right now, we are worshiping in the Word. We're opening up God's Word to hear from Him. Hopefully, I I have prayed, and hopefully you have prayed, that the Spirit of God is leading us in the text not by some creative, witty banter, which I have none of, but rather because the Spirit is good and the Bible is true and that his word is powerful and changes people. You worship in prayer by speaking to the Lord. We don't just hear from God if you're not talking to him. Listen, guys, the Spirit of God is, a, is, is given to us and shown to be a person, not a thing. Not an it. And for those of you who have relationships with, with uh, um, friends, with husbands and wives, you cannot have any kind of quality relationship if you've never talked to them. If you don't take, if you take nothing else here today, consider this. Would you treat those people who are your best friend or your spouse the way you treat the Lord? Do you cultivate your relationship with him the way that you know and should and I hope do cultivate a relationship with a loved one, a family member, a close person that you are closest to? How do you keep that relationship healthy? Do you ignore them? Do you never speak with them? If Christ has told us that life is in knowing him, how much more important is it for us to spend time with him? to speak to him, to hear from him. 
because he's given us his word and we don't have to take this to some mystic level where we just think some God might in some magical way give us an impression, but we can spend regular time with him in meditation on his word, in time and prayer speaking to him, in all the ways that Christ has shown us by his own life to set aside time in the morning just to be with him or in the afternoon if that's the schedule, just to pursue that relationship. So in this case, the church in Antioch is setting aside time to uniquely together focus on the Lord, to worship him. The actual phrase there is not only just to worship, but we think it's to minister to is what it says, that they are ministering to the Lord. Secondly, it says that they're fasting. Fasting in scripture is generally paired up with another word. Actually, fasting shows up remarkably more than most other concepts that we often go after, like prayer. Fasting shows up. And in this particular case, what I want us to pay attention to is that fasting, in contrast to worship as we're pursuing the Lord, is denying something. Now, fasting has, in some circles and some dietary fads, become kind of you know, cool to do intermittent fasting. Ever heard of that? Taking time where you don't eat dietary restrictions, maybe you do like 36-hour fast, all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. Fasting can also, and I think rightfully so, be used towards other things. For example, if you decide I need to fast from some social media accounts, or I just need to fast from my phone in general, or I need to fast from just spending time with this person. No, not. You. See, I told people I shouldn't say what comes to mind. I need to have it in my notes. All right, fa- you know, maybe it's just fasting. Really, it is. It could be fasting from anything. Um, it's, it's, it's important here, actually, right now, that we're in a time of Lent where people just generally give up something. Sometimes it's just they're fasting from some particular good type of food that they, don't, they normally indulge in. Um, it's a choice individuals make. The intention being that you're putting off something maybe that uh, has typically has control of, your, of, of you and your life. It's, it's, it's denying yourself. Paul refers to fasting, or not just fasting, but in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I, might not, I myself will not be disqualified. So he disciplines himself, and fasting is a tool that God gives us for disciplining our body. But more than that, specifically in this case, fasting is often about just not eating for a set period of time for a specific spiritual purpose. In fact, it's meant for setting aside food for the purpose of focusing on the Lord in one way or another. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus actually assumes that you will fast. He says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their face unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. What does that mean? Well, they're just like, oh, I've been... You know, for Jesus, I've been not eating. So I'm a faster. Look at me. Woe is me. I'm tired. I can't eat. I'm hungry. But what does Jesus say when you fast? Put oil on your head and wash your face. Now, I don't put oil on my head, but this is an idea to affect a freshen up. You know? Make sure you smell good. Be clean. Wash yourself. Wash your face. So that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. So in this case, Jesus is first assuming, he also assumes later with his disciples, when he's gone, they'll fast. And he's assuming they're fasting, but he's telling them, do it in a way that's intentionally focused on me, 
not on you looking better, not on people thinking better of you. Now, if I fast in my home, I don't keep it totally secret because Heather expects me to eat with the family. So out of necessity, you may share it. But in this case, he's saying, don't make a spectacle. But there are purposes for fasting. And I took a list of purposes from this book in particular that Donald Whitney shares. And these are these, that to set aside our time and focus from food in order to focus on things specific. And here's the thing that's impactful about fasting. Consider this. If you intentionally decide, I'm going to set aside food, maybe some of you have done this, your body is accustomed to what? Food. And all of a sudden, whether you need it or not, you feel like you need it. Or people in here get hangry. People in here married to someone who gets hangry. Okay. Consider this. If you've set aside for the purpose of fasting, to focus on the Lord. The opportunity that hunger gives you. Let's say I fast because I want to particularly prayer for, pray for Heather. Or I want to particularly pray for this church. For you. Every time I'm hungry, what am I going to think? I need to pray for my people. I need to pray for my wife. I need to pray. It, it's a trigger that if used correctly, not to complain, not to woe is me, but rather to remind you over and over throughout the day, and if you're like me when you give up food, that's a lot, that you feel that hunger to focus your heart and your mind on the Spirit of God. Donald Whitney says that we can pray to strengthen, I'm sorry, we can fast to strengthen our prayer. We can fast to seek God's guidance, to express grief, to seek deliverance or protection, to express repentance and return to God, to humble ourselves before God, to express concern for the work of God, to minister to the need of others, to overcome temptation, to express love and worship to God. So here's my encouragement to you this morning. Have you fasted? We in our flesh can just indulge our desire day after day. And, and let me encourage you in this. God has given us a tool and an opportunity in the practice of fasting to not only turn our hearts and minds to him, but to deny our flesh, to strengthen our resolve, to not feed that, but starve it. There are times when the flesh and the spirit are thought of as two roaring lions. And if you want to feed one or the other, which one do you want to eat you? The lion of the tribe of Judah is hopefully the one that's powerful. But day after day, as we are people who are embodied in this, in this flesh, this world of sinfulness, if we are feeding and feasting our flesh on the desires of this world, there's discipline that is lacked. And, and, and you, are, you are falling short of what it's possible for us to pursue and hear and see the Lord fully day after day. So I encourage you, consider even as the church in Antioch fast and worship the Lord so that we can hear from him. So what do we see first? We see them pursuing and we see them cultivating their relationship with the Spirit. Second, we see them trusting and following the leading of the Spirit. Spirit. Now simultaneously, this particular point seems super obvious, but it's also probably one of the most challenging and difficult things for us to do. Especially when it's something you don't want to do. Or you're uncertain about. Who in here loves uncertainty? 
I see that hand. Don't you love ambiguity? Taking that next step and not knowing whether there's going to be something to stand on. Listen, I'm not suggesting we're jumping off a cliff because even Jesus says when he was tempted by the devil, look, you don't test the Lord, but there are places we move towards and things we think are obedience that we really just don't know how things are going to work out, do we? And in this particular case, we see clearly why the Lord says that the righteous walk by faith because we have to take a step believing that God is good and is good to us. How do they do it in this particular passage? Well, first, they do it in community. Verse 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands, they sent them off. They're together in this. And for us, that's a safeguard, friends, that the Spirit is not only in me, but he's in you. Do you know, imagine this, we have the Spirit of God in us, but the flesh has also got like a, a little lawyer on our shoulders. You ever seen this? And I have the most uh, incredibly astute lawyer inside my head that has amazing points for the things that I'd rather do. That flesh has got the points down and can often convince me without much battle to just go ahead and do what I'd rather do anyway. And the community of faith does for us is that while I come to you and say, well, you know what, this is an option here, but I, I'm just going to go this path. Aaron can instead, with the Spirit of God in him, see from a different perspective the blind spots that I'm clearly okay with. And boy, when you get the power of the Spirit of God in this whole group and you come together, what is it that the Lord can't do? So they're doing it in community. They're fasting and worshiping together. They're laying their hands on the people together. They're sending them off together and they're doing it submitted to scripture. We talked about this already. It's not, it's not explicit in this context, but there's prophets and teachers. They don't have the New Testament the way they do, but there are people who are teaching and expounding on God's word. There are prophets who are hearing from the Lord and they're giving that teaching to the people. And for us, as we seek to follow the Spirit, we need to do so in community, but also submitted to the Word of God. If anything you think the Lord and the Spirit is leading you to do ever contradicts anything between the pages of this text, you're, you are misunderstanding something. I've given this illustration before, and it's sadly one that's very true. I have heard the words of a man that said that he felt the Spirit was leading him to leave his wife and to marry a woman he met online. Community comes together and says, ah, I don't think so, and that seems to not be here. So by God's grace, as we follow the Spirit, we have community around us, and we have Scripture to look to, and we do it together. And we also see that they are following the Spirit, not only hearing from him in prayer and fasting, but also continuing to follow after him in prayer and fasting. Look at the end of that passage. After they fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. There are times in life you are going to hear from the Lord, or you are going to feel like you are inspired to follow after him in one direction, and it's going to seem super unclear. There's going to be people that possibly throw doubt into that. My encouragement is to you, don't stop praying and fasting. God is good and gracious. And if he is truly leading you that way, he will confirm with you. It's a gift. 
He will confirm through his community. He will confirm in his scripture. And as you speak with him in prayer, and as you deny your flesh in fasting, he will meet you there, and he is gracious and kind because God doesn't desire to hide anything from his people. Our fall and brokenness might make it blurry because we can't see things clearly as we are created to. But I trust that as we pray and fast and pursue him, he can make it more clear. And finally, we see that as we are in community, as we are searching the scriptures, as we are praying and fasting, that we need to ultimately believe that God is for our good. (laughs) They were told to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that they were called. And then what do they do? They send them off. This is remarkable because Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas, I told you earlier, is the son of encouragement. He's such an encouraging brother that gave him a nickname with encouragement in it. I don't know if you have nicknames, but I don't have any nickname that I would be excited to share. This brother is so encouraging. He's the first one that shows up on the scene. He's the one that brings Saul into the community to teach them. He's the one that's been faithful to continue to teach them over the years. And that's one of them that God says, send him. Saul, who's written, or Paul, you may know him as, author of most of our New Testament, again, one of the other original teachers at the beginning, he's also supposed to be sent out. It's like, hey, your two best prophets and teachers, yeah, yeah, send them. Can you imagine a young church within years of starting and the guys who have been leading the charge and the Spirit of God has come clearly in worship, clearly enough for them to consider this, to hear from him and say, you need to send them on. The amount of faith and trust that God is for their good. And I say that to you because there are times I guarantee you that you will be faced with a decision to follow after the Lord and it will seem like you don't know how this is going to resolve and you don't understand how it will come together in the end but you can step out on faith and by God being good a I can promise you he will lead you into good things but b if you make a mistake he is also gracious and good enough to be there for you in the trial That's also an act of faith. Obedience to God when there is uncertainty is also placing your faith in him. That he has and guides your path. So these brothers and sisters in Antioch trust that God is good and go, you can have our best. And if we're going to be a church that sends out our best, we have to have the same faith. We have to have the same trust. We have to realize that the church is not about any individual person in this room. If something happens to me, to Aaron, tomorrow, the church doesn't die. Because God is good. It might look different. Things might change. But if he calls us to do something, he is faithful to be there through the end and it works the same in your life if you're a believer you can trust him as we see the church in Antioch trust and obey they send out Barnabas and Saul and let me just tell you again and remind you hopefully 
if you haven't understood so far, because they sent Barnabas and Saul out, and because Antioch was that church of faith that trusted in the Spirit, we see a move of the church in the, Old, in the New Testament, and we see the advancement of the kingdom into the Gentile nations that was this unparalleled throughout history, and that you and I have the benefits of today. That Antioch was a centerpiece in that, in that place of missionary work. It's the reason that we talk about an Antioch vision for King's Cross. That we want to be that kind of faithful church that has the Spirit of God in us and that we follow His lead. That God has not put you on this earth and said, Jesus is here to save you, trust in Him, good luck with the rest of it. But He wants to lead us into truth and show us his love and kindness by the loving leading of the Spirit. And we can trust him. So church, we'll be those people who trust the Spirit. Will we be the ones, believers, who pray and fast and worship the Lord, pursuing the Spirit, denying our flesh so that we can hear him more clearly? Will we be the church that continues to follow the lead even when it's uncertain? that we'll be founded on the scripture, that we will trust the community of faith that's here together, that God will bring wisdom to us to lead us into good truth and life. We'll be the church that believes that God is for our good even when things seem so uncertain and we will continue to follow him to the end. And if you're an unbeliever who doesn't know this, Lord, he is good. And, and if, if there's church people that ever tell you different, we are not perfect and we are struggling to follow after him, but he is worth it and he is life. It's joy to follow after him, to know him, to follow him, to love him, to serve him. And I would never follow anyone else. I'm thankful for the Spirit of God. I'm thankful for everyone here today. I'm thankful that He resides in us and changes us to look more like Jesus day after day. And I pray that that would be true for you. Let's pray. Father, and your kindness, Lord, I'm thankful for this word. I'm thankful for your truth. God, I'm, I'm a weak vessel with Father, you're too good to your people. Lord, I'm thankful that your spirit resides in us. When words fail us, that we can trust you. When our minds are unclear, when we don't see the path forward, that we can be like Antioch and know that you are good. God, I pray, Lord, that the spirit that resides in each one of us today would teach us, would change us, that we would trust in you as we follow after your spirit. And God, where I have been unclear, I pray, Lord, that you have brought clarity. And Lord, where my words fail, Lord, I pray that the power of your word is shining through. God, I'm thankful for the gift of your word. I'm thankful for the gift of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that it changes us to be more like Christ day after day. Let us trust and rest in the Spirit of God day after day. Let us be more like Jesus. Let us look to you and worship and trust you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.